Hey everyone, welcome back to the Waterlab Podcast, the officially the number one sports podcast in New Zealand last week. How good was that? So thank you for all the listens so far and all the shares and the support. It's very much appreciated. And if this is your first time, well then, welcome to the show. You've chosen a good one to start. As always, this episode is brought to you by Pure Sports CBD. I'm telling you, you've got to try this stuff. They've just released some brand new products, so make sure you go over and check that stuff out. Um, head over to waterlab.com if you want to find out more information how you can get 20% off or don't be afraid to message me on the Wadlad Instagram if you have any questions. But anyway let's crack into this one as I genuinely have one of the absolute greats with me today. He's literally a legend down in Christchurch where he's played for the Crusaders in Canterbury and I know for a fact he's a living legend in Wellington where he's had a massive influence with the Hurricanes and the Wellington Lions and he's the closest thing to God over in Japan, where he's played for many, many teams over there. <laughs> and he's honestly, I don't say this lightly, but one of the smartest rugby brains I've ever met. And he's also incredibly switched on off the field, running two amazing businesses. We've got so much to talk about in this episode. It is the great man himself, Tim Bateman. Welcome, Timmy. <laughs> Holy hecka. Jimmy Marshall, eh? Mate, I've been enjoying the other intros and you've just bloody, you've blown you've blown me away there. Thanks, mate. <laughs> it's all true though, mate. And you're still going, I can't believe it. You've retired like six times. Well, I'm, I don't know if I can say I'm actually still going. I'm I'm still sort of pretending to go. Um yeah. <laughs> don't know how well I'm still going, but I'm I'm hanging in there. I watched a couple of your games over in Japan. You were still carving it up. You were going real good. <laughs> I don't know what you're watching there, Jimmy, but um, it can't have been me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Jeeves. Uh, as I say, man, I'm still really enjoying it. it had, um, over the last couple of years, my, my career's probably been able to be extended a little bit more just because, you know, I barely played, um, you know, with the Crusaders the last three seasons. Um, you know, I, played, I think I played sort of seven games each season, um, 17, 18, 19. So, you know, like I have, my body's been able to sort of stay fresh enough to, carry on and I've had sort of big stints in between like I didn't play from sort of February to December last year and almost similar the year before that so I've had lots of long stints to sort of try and get the bit body in an all right position to play again but yeah not quite there. But how did that last gig come about because I thought you were like genuinely done that time but you went again? Yeah well I was I, and I need to stop saying I'm retiring because Laura's bloody into me but um yeah, I, I had. I genu- I, well, I've genuinely retired twice, really. Yeah. Um, so in the 2016, and that's when we opened Cloud Nine. So that was I called that called that quits. I was working full time, and then Razor asked to come join the Crusaders 2017. So I was like, yeah, cool, I'll come out. And then after 2019, it was the same thing. I, I thought I, you know, I was I was finishing. Um, and then Joe Maddock and Todd Blackett had got the Crusaders gig. They were trying to sort of do some similar stuff to what. The Crusaders in Canterbury were working on some of some of the game plans and stuff, and just reached out. So I was like, yeah, it was yeah. Having having a couple of coaches like that over there made it made it pretty a bit more attractive too. The pull of the yen as well, no doubt. <laughs> well, it's not, not quite a Jimmy Marshall yen contract, <laughs> but ain't that it's um, <laughs> it's a Tim Bateman yen contract. That's so what yeah, ten times. Oh, how good. But the season's still going. You've you've played two games. You lost them, and you've you've pulled pin. You've you've shot the gap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've cut me. No, it's um. So I uh, that's, that was sort of another condition of the contract was um. I, I wanted I, mean, I can only sort of be away for for a couple of months. My family's my girls are too old now to um to leave New Zealand. They're you know high school, old high school, young intermediate. Um, so I said to them like I'll, I'll come up and do two months. Um. Start and do the first round, sort of January, February, 
um, take a take a break to come back to New Zealand and then shoot back up and finish the season. And so they were happy with that. Um, so yeah, went up just before Christmas. The first um, part of the season was meant to be January, February. It was meant to be like eight games in that combat in that um, in those two months. I was going to play every game and then shoot home. And there was a three week break that Toshiba had, so it was perfect timing. And then coronavirus hit, so everything got pushed back six weeks, and I couldn't change my quarantine slot here in New Zealand because the next one's available until like June. Yeah. So I just I had to leave. So yeah, I only got to play the first two competition games, and then um, yeah, and I've shot the shot the gap. So I'm hoping to get back. Oh, you are still looking to go back. Yeah, hoping to get back up there and um and finish the season. So like like yeah, they can to get me back up there. I just need to um, it's just hard now with the quarantine. Like two weeks here, two weeks in Japan. And then trying to find quarantine slots to get back, you yeah. know, soon after the season. So it just makes it way more complicated. So I'm not 100 percent sure whether it's going to work out or not. And so you're on quarantine at the moment. How are you finding that? You, you, I'd imagine you being a quarantine guru, <laughs> you'd be meditating, you'd be reading, you'd be doing all the right things. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm um, I, I'm very, I can very quickly become a pile of shit. To be honest, <laughs> so I. I uh, <laughs> So I have to give myself like a strict routine. <laughs> so I sort of I use like a um, I use Google calendars for everything, so um, work and stuff. And so I've given myself it's called you know the quarantine perfect week structure. And so it's like I have to do this in the morning and then you know train there, do this type of working here and this type of work in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, as I say, it just gives me a little bit of direction. It's actually made it a lot easier. I got a I got a bike um, delivered in here and I got a kettlebell. Um, and stuff so I can do a bit of training, bit of yoga. Um, nah, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's all right. Mate, I knew it. I knew you'd have an absolute guru plan written out. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, as I say, it's only because I know my limitations, Jimmy. I know how um, I could easily just fall into watching watching crap or, um, you know, just being super bored. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got to, I've got to have something to keep me to keep me keep me moving. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, before we get too far into it, let's go back to what life was like for a young Tim Bateman. Let's go to the start. Wow, shivers. Um, grew up on the the best coast of South Island. Um, so over in a little tiny place called Tocha Flat, there's twelve of us at at, um, at the whole in the whole primary school. Four of them were me and my three siblings. Mum and dad. Mum and dad were the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> so we um it was literally middle of nowhere in between these little dairy farms. Actually there was another there was another player, so um another guy's made to rugby from there. So Liam Coltman actually, he was he was at school at the same time. Oh true. Um yeah, yeah. They lived just down the road from us and there's probably only one other person that I think loves sausages more than he does. That'll be Reggie Good. But um, <laughs> um Liam <laughs> Liam Coleman, mate, he used to, I remember going into their house and he'd just go and get like raw sausages out of the freezer and just be just munching on these raw meat sausages. <laughs> just like, yeah, mate, one of a kind, one of a kind. Like, great, great, awesome place though. Um, and then, um, yeah, went into Greymouth, into the big smoke. Did my first couple of years of high school over there and then shot over the, um, shot over to Christchurch, finished high school at, at the factory there. Boys so high. what brought upon that move to go over to Christchurch Boys High? Uh, so that was just mum and dad I moved to Christchurch to do like a bilingual immersion course. Um, I actually like fought with them big time. I was actually try- honestly trying to go to Nelson College. Like oh, I was yeah. oh. begging them. Imagine, to go to imagine what College. you would have become. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, mate, it would have been a very, I reckon it would have been a very different route. Like I was playing basketball mainly and on the coast. Oh, I played yeah. a little bit of rugby in league, but basketball was what I was um, like. I was playing age group New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand way up. I played all that under nineteen. Um, 
and Nelson College had a really good uh, basketball program, good coaches and stuff, and so I really wanted to go up there. But lucky I didn't, though, because I was never going to be any good. <laughs> so um, you go to Boys High, I literally just fell into the fell into the rugby sort of system, you know, like um, the whole school was sort of, you know, built around rugby. That's what it felt like anyway, so just got right into it over there. So did you not play much rugby on the coast? Oh, I, I mean, I played, I started playing uh, when I was 13. I played more league, um, so on the coast league was had a bit of a, a wee bit stronger competition. Um, there's only there was only a handful of teams, uh, rugby and league. So we used to play rugby in the morning, league in the afternoon. But it was more just fun. Um, but basketball, I was like you know training every day. Um, I play a couple of times a week, and um, we play the men's competition and stuff. Now it was it was good, and yeah, I loved basketball. As I say, I, was, I mean I'm, I'm shorter than you, I think, so I've got to be pretty 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 small. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> well, you obviously had a pretty quick growth in your rugby career because I remember watching you. I was at Nelson College. You were Christchurch boys. I think I was third form, and you were out there carving up. You were a big name. Everyone had you were to be an All Black sort of reputation, and you were just ripping it up. So you must have picked it up pretty quick. Uh, I mean, I, I, we we like we threw the ball around like um, my brothers and a couple of mates at, um, uh, over on the coast, uh, the Monk family, and. Um, yeah, we had a good bunch of guys that played a lot, just, you know, threw the ball around. But, yeah, I suppose going to boys high, um, like, I don't know. Like, I didn't – I trained – I trialled for the first, uh, first 15 when I got there in year 11 um, only because mum and dad said that I had to. Like, right. I was like, there's no way, Matt. I was like, if I make the 16 Bs, I'm stoked sort of thing. <laughs> That's what I legitimately thought. And yeah. um, I, tri- I trialled and I had to – you know, it was one of those trials where the sort of ball bounced your way and – you know, got put away in space and got a, you know, that runaway try sort of thing. Yeah. And it was literally just like, you know, I had a, a, a lucky trial. And then um, I actually, I was actually a, a first 5'8 um, when I played on the coast. Um, but we had Steve Brett. It was the 10 from, he'd, be, he'd been 10 for two years before. He was year 13. I was year 11. And so he played first five. So I just got put in at 13. Um, and I just ended up playing at 13 and then got picked for teams at 13 and just ended up becoming a 13 because I was getting picked there. But if I could go back, I would actually have just stayed as a 10. I would have kept kicking goals. I would have kept on, um, you know, trying to be a 10 because I was never going to be good enough as a, as a midfielder, big, or big enough and strong enough, combative enough to be a, a really good midfielder. So, but, you know, it, in saying that, I'm, I'm really lucky to have played, you know, for as you know, long as I have, I suppose. Jeez, you're a tough critic. You've, you've been one of the best midfielders in world rugby for the last 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you couldn't have been good enough. <laughs> oh, mate, like, no, it's, it's um, you, my, my natural sort of strengths would probably be more like game game sort of control um, and, you know, seeing space, that, that type of stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've always struggled with the combative side of the game, you know, like, I've been bumped off more times than most players going around, I'd say. And, um, you know, I don't think I've ever bumped anyone off, even close to it. You know, so, like, when you look at some of the... You know, I mean, I love Super, Super Rugby I'll see one now, and I'm just like, wow, you know, the the collisions and, and stuff is um, this next level. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I'm not playing in that comp now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm saying players like you are so underrated because they probably don't get the recognition they do from people watching because they don't see the... Um, tackle breaks, the big tackle sort of things, but the organisation and I know the game management that you bring to any team is world class, and it makes such a massive difference to a team. 
like having someone like you being able to organize and communicate um yeah you're definitely selling yourself short oh thanks mate no it's um i suppose i, I learned that that was pretty early in the piece um like with my first sort of four years with the crusaders um I, when i first came in there was you know Rod spooky and aaron major with the midfielders the yeah. 212s um casey Lalala was in there at, in, at 13 and and I, like I sort of saw the way Aaron worked with with um, Dan, and you know that was what he sort of seemed to do really well. Was just he was just constantly talking and controlling the game, um, and so I sort of sort of tried to model myself a, a little bit around that. And I, I, pr- I did pride myself on that, like playing with with Dan. That was sort of the way I'd go into every game. I remember I was just thinking in my head, I'm his eyes, like I'm his eyes all the time, like. If I can just give him like the best comms in the world, he can just execute, you know. And yeah, no, if I, that was yeah, that's something I tried to do anyway. And look at the player you turned him into. One hundred percent, mate. You were on the money there. On the money. <laughs> the, the other thing you did at schoolboy level was um, Moo talked about it in his one. You ended his career as a back. You, do you remember that game where you, you must have gassed him about four or five times on the outside? Like, oh, the only reason I would have guessed no is because he would have already made 300 tackles and hit 320 rucks. And buddy, he was he carried. He, I've never seen anyone carry a team like no. Like he, he carried his team anywhere he went. Actually, he's absolute top man as well. He was an awesome basketballer as well. Actually, no, like he um was he? He was real sharp. Yeah. <clears throat> How good's that? And then obviously you had um a bit of young love. You fell in love pretty early. Had a had a baby pretty early yeah, as did. well. You want to talk to me about that? Yeah, mate. Uh, we did. Yeah. Um, yep. So I met met Laura at high school. Um, and yeah, and first year out of high school, actually, we had Shyla. So yep. that was um, that was against the grain, I suppose. Which is you know the way I like to like to roll, Jimmy. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, yeah, that, that was awesome. That when that was it was a it was a, a challenging few years there, just because I was trying to juggle rugby and and we with Shyla and I was not trying to study um but uh yeah and then we had Shyla and Malia a couple of years later so you know we were 22 years old and we had you know two wee girls um and so, yeah I mean it's it's funny it's funny the way I reckon that's changed my career as well like it made me do things a little bit differently it made me put focus in different areas a little bit more and and now and now they're sort of old and, and I'm you know I'm 33 now and and uh you know 13 and 11 yeah. you know child's going to be gone from home in probably three or four years you know four or five years so it's, um yeah it's funny so mm-hmm. how, how did you juggle that because obviously you must have been what you were 19 you're straight into the canterbury itm cup setup you've got a baby you're still trying to study that's a shitload of work for a young 19 year old kid yeah so so i i, I started study um when i finished school i studied at, at canterbury university and then made the um I, I was training with the crusaders and at, at the start of that year and then made the canterbury side um so it was 2006 and then we had china in october so laura was pregnant when i was playing for for canterbury might have seen cup yeah. and then i got given a super contract um in about must have been about july so getting that super contract in july before Shiloh was born in October, that probably eased a lot of stress, I suppose. Like, which you know, what it, it could have been a lot more stressful, I think, just financially and stuff. And um, I don't know when you don't know anything else, though. I suppose it doesn't feel like you, you know, you, you're juggling too much. Like that was just all I knew. I was studying, and I was loving playing rugby. Um, 
I was sort of just riding that wave of this is, you know, this is awesome. It's probably some of the best rugby I've played as well, actually, I reckon, even sort of 2006, 7, 8, 9. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, I definitely don't think it impacted me too much. And then, obviously, your Crusaders career. Any highlights in your early part of the Crusaders career for you? Yeah, a couple. A couple. Obviously, winning winning in 2008 was definitely the... the was amazing, like playing that, that final at, at, in Christchurch, um, played the Waratahs. And it was one of those games that was just... I just remember being absolutely exhausted after the game. It was a, a pretty awesome season. And I sort of built my way into that season um, to be sort of a regular starter and stuff. That so was a cool, it was a cool year. But yeah, I mean, my debut, that was pretty cool too. Um, yeah, I well, actually, I de- so I debuted 2007, the week after this was in South Africa. I guess it was against the Cheetahs. And then the next game, I was a DD. Um, and back then, it used to be, it was a little bit different. Like it was, um, you know, on a Thursday night at the DDs, it was like compulsory to go out and and uh, and have a big night, um, and you'd have to have a story for the back of the bus on the way to captain's run in the morning. Yeah, and so um, so I'd, I'd got had a, a, a big night. It was a, it was a big night with three of those DD boys, and um, I probably had an hour's sleep. And uh, on the on the bus in the morning, told my story and that, and they, you know the boys just saw I had much of a pile of crap I was. Um, and then uh, at that training. Uh, the captain's run afterwards, Ruth will give me through some one-on-one sort of footwork stuff afterwards. Yeah. Anyway, you can just suspect me, which he would nine times out of ten, he'd suspect me. But um, this time he went to step and he did his hamstring. Oh, that's true. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to get called in here. I'm the midfielder over here on the, the DD. So I was on the bus, sort of sitting there, and then Robbie called me down to, the, you know, to sit next to him. So I was, you know, I had to go sit next to him. I was trying not to breathe on him. And, um, and he goes, how are you feeling? And I was like, yeah, good. And he's like, did you, you know, go out last night? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, had, had a couple, but, you know, just, you know, trying to be, just showing that I was good. And he was like, oh, I don't want to change too much, so I'm going to start you tomorrow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, good, awesome, awesome. And and so the boys are just pissing themselves. I remember Kayla Ralph and Liam McDonald just looking at me like, they were just pissing themselves with laughter. That. And I, that was the day before the first time I'd ever done Bulgarian split squats as well. I'd never done them before, so I don't know if you <laughs> if you haven't done those before. Hammy's so gone. I'd, I'd, oh my glute and hammies. I could hardly. So I was walking around like a tin soldier and I, and just reeking of alcohol. And I had to start. It was against the Sharks on, in two thousand seven. Um, so that was a like, packed house there. It was packed house at Kings Park. And uh, yeah, that was that was that was. And we lost actually right on full time. They they um, we were we were winning game over, and we always was kick it out, and we turned the ball over at that ruck. They went about ten phases, scored in the corner, and then that Ruan Pena kicked it from the sideline to oh. to win the game. How did you go? <laughs> well, I actually got um, I got player of the day, that did day you? from the team. <laughs> it was um, uh, it was probably because it was probably because they all knew what I'd sort of gone through to um to play. But um, I went all right. I think I was just super stressed, but I was yeah. I remember getting home, putting my skins on, drinking about a thousand bottles of Parade and water, and slept all day. And yeah, is that the game you fell asleep on the bus to the game? <laughs> no, that was another one. No, that was another one. Um. Yeah, that was another one. That wasn't that, that had nothing to do with drinking or anything like that. That was um that was yeah, you know, that was actually that was embarrassing. That Robbie actually had to wake me up. So that was um in in Sydney. Uh against Waratah. So I was literally just out to it asleep and he came up and shook me, woke me up and, and was like, Mate, we're we're all you know, let's go. And I, he does the way he was looking at me like, What what are you doing? What were you but doing? I, I don't know, what had happened there, eh? I think I was just I think I was just super 
I don't know what was going on. I was super stressed or super anxious or something and just, um, you know, I don't know, crashed out on the bus. <laughs> crashed out on the bus. But I had a good game that day too. So, right. was, you know, one of, the, one of the few games I played all right. It doesn't surprise me because the power of your mind, eh? You, you've got something different up, upstairs for your mind. How, how do you work on that? Um, oh, I don't know if I've got anything different upstairs, mate, to be honest with you. Um, no, I mean, it's something that I've always been really interested in. Uh, always been really interested in, and I suppose just how how much performance can you know can change, um, and it's, you don't change much physically week to week. You know, it's not as if one week you're faster or stronger or fitter. You very rarely change significantly week to week. But if your performance is uh, changed, it's got to be much more in that mental space. Like, what have you done that week that's been different, or what are, how you're feeling on the field, what's it about? And so, I mean, if, if that's something I noticed massively through my career is when I, when I was feeling really good, feeling confident, um, feeling, you know, feeling strong and backing myself. I played, I definitely played a lot better. And um, it used to be a, a bit of a frustration for me because, you know, if things are going on, you know, off the field that were making me feel a little bit crap, um, then my performances definitely were impacted. So, I mean, I used to try, try and find ways to get myself in a, in a good mindset and, uh, I've definitely got way better over over the years. Like, like nowadays, um, even even those last couple of games up in Japan, just feel really good. You know, just feel in a good mental space, and I think it, that gives you it puts you in a good position to to, to play well. You know, so um, yeah. What age did you What age did you start making a conscious effort to work on your mental strength? Um, it would have been around that sort of 2013, 14. Oh yeah. It was more so when. So my so Laura has multiple sclerosis in my life, and it was more when she started really struggling. Uh, I just noticed how much it was impacting me. Like I was going to training, just like super stressed about what was going on at home. You know, if I ever had to go go away for a game, I was just it was horrible. And and I, I it was it was the worst feeling in the world, like running out onto the park and just feeling, I don't know, just feeling like you you know you don't you don't really want to be there. You know and it used to frustrate me because I, I love rugby and I love being there and I love doing that stuff and I'd love tra- you know tours away with like great fun and all that sort of stuff and so um, I just used to think to myself like I know that I should be present here you know there's no point in me worrying about what's going on at home I can't impact any of that from that necessity that's where I started you know thinking about it a little bit more and trying to learn about it a little bit more. You'd mentioned Laura and her MS so she was diagnosed in 2012 right how was how was that for you and the family to to deal with? Um, yeah, it was a massive challenge, huge challenge. It was because Laura was was always, you know, really active, um, physically active herself. You know, she was, you know, a really good hockey player and runner. So played the hockey age group size in New Zealand, would win sort of national level cross countries and stuff. So she was really physically able, sort of a bit of a, a super active person as well. And she went from that to being, you know, couldn't run two hundred meters. You know, um, she you know, lost vision lost use of one of her arms, lost control of her bladder and, you know, just lots of lots of stuff that happened over the period of about a year. And so the diagnosis it was hard, it was hard but it was a little it was almost like a bit of a relief, I suppose, because we had we knew what what we were up against, I suppose. And so it was like, okay, we can make a few plans now. But it was just it was a challenging we were in Wellington actually at the time, so you know, we didn't have a lot of family support around and um yeah, so it was it was it was tough. 
it was definitely a tough few years, that's for sure. And then, how, like, how is she now? Mate, she's doing really, really well. So that, so um, when I left the Hurricanes 2015, 14, end of 2014, we went, so we went back to Japan. So um, the drugs available in New Zealand, so Pharmac wouldn't fund a, a, a drug that was meant to be the sort of, you know, the best drug in, in the world for MS. Yeah. Um, and just because MS in New Zealand is quite, it's high rates and so it's not prioritised like some of some of the other illnesses that are out there whereas in Japan it's actually got really low rates so it's actually oh, yeah. prioritised third so it's really well funded and really well looked after it's actually just because they're closer to the equator like the closer you get to the equator the less rates of MS there are so really? even as you go down New Zealand from like Auckland to Wellington to Christchurch to Dunedin the rates actually get higher so they, they reckon it's got something to do with you know, vitamin D but uh, all that plays a part but um, so we went back to Fukuoka and there was a lead specialist in, um, for MS that lived in Fukuoka, not far from where they trained and stuff. So we went over there, they funded the drug for Laura. She went on that. She had some really bad side effects. Um, so that um, sort of ruled that out. So we went to Singapore and she went into hospital there for a couple of months um, and she got a stem cell transplant. And that was cool. I mean, that was I mean, that was brutal, brutal procedure for her. Um, it's, like, it's where they sort of take healthy stem cells from the bone marrow, blast it with chemo um, to sort of bottom out her immune system. So her immune system becomes um, set back to zero effectively. And then um, she had to obviously have to be in isolation, re-enter the stem cells, grow a new immune system, and hopefully the new immune system doesn't have that. And so it's been, what's that been now? So that was 2015, 2015. So it's been five years, five and a bit years, and she hasn't actually relapsed. And, oh, wow. um, they said that if she goes two years without relapsing, she, she won't relapse again. So we're hopeful that she's, um, she's got, we're going to have that lasting damage that, ha- that happened prior to that. We're hoping that there's no sort of further progression. Jeez, um, that's good, and eh? she's, yeah, it's great, mate. And she's back. Um, she's got a lot back as well. Like she's back able to run around the parks and, um, she actually picked up the hockey stick this year for the first time. She was playing Masters. Oh, wow. Um, masters, like, second grade or third grade. But like, hockey's a part of her sort of DNA. It makes, you know, you can just see how much she loves it. Yeah. And um, it's so good, mate. It's just, it's so good seeing her back out there doing that. Honestly, like, for the girls and stuff, to mm. see, it, see her playing as well. Because, i got to say, she was a really good player. Um, and my both my girls are right into it. Charlotte's just made um, you know, first eleven for her uh, her high school, and she's just loving it. And so it's cool for them to watch watch yeah. Laura play and stuff as well. And yeah, so I'm I'm pretty we're in a pretty good spot at the moment, really. That's awesome, eh? Well, well, let's go back to your rugby career because at the Crusaders, you left there. You left New Zealand at a pretty young age, so you were early to mid twenties. Not many players at that age were leaving New Zealand. But you headed off to Japan. So what was the what's the reason behind that? Yeah, mate, I was I was twenty two when I left. Twenty two um, yeah, really for the first young. time. Yeah. So uh, I, I mean, there was a few things. There was a few things. I think part of it was I'd probably done. Uh, you know, I'd probably sort of burn myself out a little bit with work and uh, with study. Sorry, and, and rugby and family. And and I was, you know, I, could, I just felt myself teetering a little bit. And I remember sitting down with Liam McDonald actually. He said to me like he recommended it. He's like, mate, go go to a go to a season away somewhere else, refresh yourself, come back and get back into it. And he said that, and we talked about it because he had kids young as well. Yeah. And he said said to me like, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to go overseas when your kids when you're older because your kids are going to be older. So like, you may have to think about doing you know, like financially as well, like think about doing little stints here and there to see see how it works out. 
So I was like, yeah, cool, that sounded good. So I was going to miss one Super Rugby campaign, go overseas and come back. Um, the plan was actually to go over and come back to the Crusaders, but then they, they signed Sonny Bill. So it's sort of like, that's gone. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so com- coming back, um, like it was the, when the Hurricanes opportunity came up, I had a couple of um, offers from um, to sides. It was interesting, actually, because it was just before the 2011 World Cup. Um, because and I wasn't in the frame for that, you know. I had pretty clear comms that you know I wasn't going to be in and around that. Who who told you that? Um, so just the coaches oh, at the time. Um, yeah, although I didn't say that you're not in the frame, but you yeah. know, you know when you you sort of know yeah. <laughs> when you in those conversations, they sort of they're telling you the things you need to be doing differently. They'd put me on this program to get big. Oh, yeah. So me and Isaac Ross had been put on this program to get big, and um, and I got big. For me, so I got. So I think I got about to 95 kilos, yeah. and so usually I'd yeah. sit around that sort of 88, 89, 90 tops. Yeah. So I got to 95 kilo, and I was terrible. <laughs> like I was just woeful, mate. Like woeful. It was the worst I've ever played by a mile. Sure. And it just, I don't know. It taught me a lot too, because it was like I wasn't big enough to bump anyone off or like dominate people in collisions, because I, you know, it wasn't a natural strength money. You know, all it did was just take away my only small threat that I had which is like a little bit of acceleration you know and I was less fit I was less able to get around the park well and and so it was really demoralizing actually um so you know maybe I was a little bit better in collisions but I was just so much worse in so so many other areas that actually gave me a little bit of a point of difference yeah so um yeah after getting that I was like this sounds like a good thing to do so yeah decided to go away do something different it was great man I loved it I loved it over there it was awesome for us as a family as well Mm. just getting away completely from New Zealand rugby and from New Zealand from family and and just doing our own thing you know we had Shida and Miley were three and one and it was just I don't know it was just a cool family time like you've been in Fukuoka and you know you know, the beach and just it was just a lot less stress the rugby stuff was interesting and but great fun and uh, and then came back back to the Hurricanes, which was really cool too. I loved it. Yeah, I loved my time there. So mm. wh- why did you choose the Hurricanes? Um, oh, there was a few things. Um, there was a couple. I mean, I I um I always wondered what what it was would be like to play with Snakey. Like I always looked at him yeah. from afar and thought he was a fast. Um, Hurricanes were sort of they were my they were actually my favourite team growing up. Like oh, yeah. on, on the coast, they used to watch like Cully and. Yeah, Tana and stuff, and Joan. Like, you know, they were like my team, and I just like loved watching play. Yeah. And so I was just like, man, that would be amazing playing for them. My best mate as well. He was my best man as well. He was like massive Hurricane support, and we talked about like, man, that's playing for Hurricane. But um, yeah. So going there, and then I had a good chat with with Hammer, and uh, and he he was sort of like, there was some stuff, but he was trying to sort of rebuild a um this, this sort of work ethic, I suppose, and and um this real give to a team sort of mindset and and it sounded it sounded like a cool sort of thing to be a part of so yeah it was there was a combination of stuff i suppose i'd always admired the hurricanes from afar i, I liked what he was talking about wanting to sort of try and like help build a build a like a, a real sort of work mindset you know um and so yeah how'd you find it on the field your combination with snakey was one of the great combinations in hurricanes history how did you find playing on the field? <laughs> it's funny how many people say that, Jimmy. <laughs> I've never heard that ever. But it's, um, <laughs> mate, it's um, oh mate, I love playing. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah, the 2012 was brilliant. Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, there was so many young guys that came into the team, like the TJs, the Bodies, the um, 
shield the you know ridge ridge good tf2 mung and um there was just like a, like a, a heap of talent that came in this group and uh and then you had guys like colsey and thrashy and and jay Seaton and victor and snakey like just like super professional super passionate super hard working super smart so you had this real cool balance in the group mm. And I, I genuinely reckon those guys that came in that year, the young guys that came in that year, just saw this, like, wow, man, like the, these guys just work hard. They love what they do. It's a good, fun environment, you know. Um, and, and, and it, you know, put us in a good position. And, and we sort of punched above our weight. We had a, a lot of fun, um, had, had some awesome wins. We went really well against New Zealand sides, which we, which we really got up for. We lost, we lost a couple of games that we really should have won against teams that we should have beaten. So it was an up-and-down season, but... um. It was yeah, it was just really cool. It was a really cool team to be a part of. Just yeah. great fun, great talent. Um, you know, yeah, you know, you remember. I remember. I remember really well. And then I remember uh, our yeah. very tough preseason we had to do. I think it was the following year, two thousand and thirteen. Hammer took us up to the army camp, and we did a like a twelve hour overnight shift. One of your favourite memories of all time, isn't it? <laughs> oh god, yeah, that was that was a. Um, yeah, and that was I wasn't in a very good place myself, really. That, that's probably probably still to this day the most embarrassed, like, <laughs> the most embarrassed I've ever been. But it was a cool. Um, I mean, it was a cool exercise. But I turned up at turned up at the training at the training ground, um, and then we thought we were just going to be doing normal training. Next thing you know, we're you know getting grilled by the army boys and mm. carrying stuff all the way up. We had to go to the top of Mount Big, jumped on a bus. And then bust to somewhere, and then jumped out. We had to carry all that stuff, and that you know they were just into you the whole way. Did sort of stuff all through the night, you know, like having carry the jerry cans up the hill. And um, I remember us having to remember that we had to sit down and write like a yes, like an essay or like a question, <laughs> yeah, on, on like the game plan and stuff. This would have been about four or five in the morning, you know. Yeah. Boys are just and, great. And, and, yeah, it was, and then the last thing was putting the tent up. Um, got a bit of sleep, and then we went into like full on three sixty reviews, like mm. uh, uh, you know, where they you had to sort of say all this positive and negative stuff about people. And so I was, I was, you know, sleep deprived. You know, I got to tackle this in there. I was sleep deprived, exhausted, all that sort of stuff. And yeah. there'd been a lot of that was probably Laura was at her worst. So I was, you know, feeling pretty crap. And I just remember getting that feedback from a few of the boys, um, and just thinking, man, this is yeah. I was, I guess, sort of I'm breaking down a little bit in the to, in the group. And it was yeah, it was a it was a it was a probably one of those points where I realised shivers like you know I've been trying to sort of push it down a little bit, yeah. um, but you realised that it was impacting me more than I thought. Yeah. So I wasn't in your <clears> group, but what was your feedback you were getting? Uh, I, I I remember there was Adam Hill, like Mark Hammett, um, Clark Laidlaw, um, a heap of players, but they all sort of said the same sort of thing. It was actually the positive feedback <laughs> that oh, got me got oh, me going and. And you had to sort of respond to it, and I couldn't talk. I was just like literally trying to talk, and I was like freaking you know, bubbling, bubbling my words out. But they were all sort of saying stuff like, um, "You need to back yourself." You know, if you saw yourself like we saw you, and we see you, you'd be, you know, you'd, you'd be more confident, and you believe in yourself, and it was that sort of thing. Mm. They all sort of could see that I was struggling with confidence and struggling with um, just believing in myself. And and yeah, I, I didn't realize that people could see that, but obviously it was like clear, clear as day. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, when, when, when I heard all that, um, and, and no one really knew what was going on at home with Laura 
and with the girls and stuff. So I suppose I, I just, you know, I, I, yeah, they all sort of came out. Yeah. Mm. Is that something that you've always struggled with is self-confidence? Cause even listening to you here, like you've, you play yourself down pretty, pretty massively. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely something that I've, um, I've struggled with. I've always sort of, I mean, I, I have an inner confidence to a certain degree. I think, you know, and I, I believe in myself to a certain degree, but potentially, um, potentially see other people as just, you know, on a different level. Um, I think it's actually funny. This is a little bit different, but like, I don't have an Instagram or anything. And, and the reason I had to re-download it the other day, cause you know, for, for work, I had to do like an Instagram takeover for a day. Yeah. And, and so a couple of days before I downloaded it, and, and I was, you know, trying to learn. Well, people, I don't know how to, I don't know how to post or do, do, you know, stories or whatever. So I was trying to see what people do. You know, what what do people do that's quite funny or cool to, to do? Yeah. And I just found myself getting hooked on it. Like I found myself just watching, and I didn't actually feel good yeah. like, watching people do stuff. I actually felt worse. I felt like, man, he's got his shit together. Oh, she's doing this. Well, he's doing that. Like it, and I, I can see with me that sort of stuff is not good yeah um, i've got a I've probably a bit of an addictive personality and a tendency to be a little bit um hard on myself i think with rugby i, I, I look at other players and think man he's awesome he's amazing you know, i'd never see myself like that i suppose and yeah it's something that i've had to work on that's for sure sure and and you talked about social media that really interests me because snakey obviously talked about in the last episode um, how he doesn't have social media. Two of the smartest guys that I know, you and Snakey, both don't have social media. So there must be something to that. I don't see anything wrong with that. Like I've got a Facebook page, and I'll keep in touch with um, um you know, mates and stuff. Well, more Messenger, but I haven't used Facebook for for a while. But um, I, I did have a Twitter thing for the Crusaders for a little bit when we went to the States with Marty All Blacks. They said that was a good thing to do, and the brand things I downloaded, I posted a few times and uh, tweeted a few times. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's just not me, man. It's, um, I always find, as I say it, I feel crap. Like if I've just been scrolling, you know, as I say, I had to re-download Instagram and I'm watching people's stories or looking at posts and I'm like, what am I doing here? This is just wasting my time. I yeah. just, um, and I, as I say, it didn't make me feel good. It didn't like energize me to go out there and do stuff. I just, I, I think for some people, uh, it was great and they're able to use it in a, in a good way that's beneficial and there's lots of good sides to it obviously but for me i just don't see any benefit for me you know i only see downside yeah and for your kids i know you've got a good protocol with your kids and how they use social media this will be a good lesson for <laughs> yeah. everyone i think how did you do this oh oh mate um i, I can see it's going to start getting harder now yeah uh but so we did a i did a um digital contract actually with them back when they they would have been you know 10 and 8 and like I said mate, it, it blows me away how many people have devices at a young age it blows me away um, so pretty much they weren't allowed to have a phone until um, 14 um, uh, and they're not allowed to have a social media account until 15 and well we came up with all this stuff together um, and so they as I say, like they came up with it and we, we edited it a few times um, for them but it's, it's funny when you get them to come up with the rules they're way harder than than you think is right, you know. So like, yeah. they were the ones that came up with fourteen and fifteen for that, um, and they were the ones that came up with like, you know, thirty minutes a day of gaming or games. Yeah, is like that's heaps. So, um, 
we signed it and we've got it and um, you know no no obviously no no devices at tables or not, no nothing in bedrooms and that type of stuff. And it's been it's been really good. It's given us a good base. As I say, it's going to start getting more challenging now. Shot is just in fourteen, um, and and uh, obviously all their friends have had social media accounts and, and devices for years now. So it's, it's going to it's going to get harder. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how we go. What the contract expires <laughs> next year, does it? Yeah, so October this year she can get a social media account, and she she sort of said she sort of said to me she's not sure whether she's going to, uh, which is cool. Um, it's up it's up to her obviously, but because you've got to learn to, to interact with it, it's not like just uh, taking it away is not the answer all the time, obviously. But I just think, you know, the way I see it is like tech companies have the ability to to really get people addicted to things, mm. you know, like they've got. That's their whole job. Their whole job is to make people stay on their device and on their on their platforms for as long as possible, so they can drop ads in, into them and take you know pick up data. And so you know, for me, a young kid um, is is susceptible to that. You know, it's, it's a lot more susceptible to that. And so I think, yeah, as staying keeping away from it as long as possible, and then learning how to interact with it is is important. But mate, I, I'm, I definitely haven't got it sorted. It's, it's, um, that's just what we've chosen is works for us and it's, it's been okay so far oh sounds like a great plan you need to send that contract through to me for my kids <laughs> <laughs> it's funny mate it's signed and we've got it inside on the and um, just inside the kitchen sort of cupboard door there yeah and um you know even even down to like a breach like if a breach then this is what what would be if you if you played games for an hour you know what would be a, a fair um <laughs> thing like you dad you should take away you should take away the iPad for a day. Like you, you reckon that's right? Yep, definitely. That's not good. And I was like, yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Let's sign that. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's <laughs> <is> so good. <laughs> oh, you've cracked life, I tell you. And then we've already talked about your move to Japan, and that was because of the whole MS thing. So did you go back to the Red Sparks? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, went back to the um, – so after, after Hurricanes, went back to the Red Sparks – so I played four seasons with Coke. So two, two, um, two seasons, one super in 2011, yeah. and then I did two seasons, and um, and that's when I retired. So after we went to Singapore, uh, we needed to be in Christchurch. So we um, after after the transplant, was like you know we can't go anywhere else. This is you know, we need to be home, um, get into a life, um, and so that's when we opened Cloud Nine and moved back to Christchurch in 2015. And I didn't play at all, didn't play club or anything from the end of 2015 to. All, all 2016, and then Razor came, he, Razor came in for a float actually, oh, and sure. um, and I'm taking through the float intro and and sort of stuff. And he was asking what was going on, and he'd spot coded spot coached up in Japan oh, yeah. a couple of years earlier, and so um and he just they must have had a an exit of players, and he's like, mate, you want to come and play again? I was like, hey, yeah, like I have to be, as I say, I have to be in Christchurch is where I'm going to be. If I'm going to play, I've got to play for the Crusaders. Yeah, and I was to be honest, mate, I, I, I was stoked and excited to play again but I was hesitant because you know when I left the Crusaders and then when I played against the Crusaders I was I struggled with the Crusaders it's mm-hmm. just you know it's completely honest like I struggled with you know I had a bit of bitterness probably towards them and 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 um and so I was nervous about going back into the Crusaders environment I didn't really know how, I was, how what it was going to be like how different it was going to be and um yeah there was a couple of things he sort of said to me around how he thought that the culture previously was a bit more like a catch-out culture, um, and, and the whole the 
whole ethos of the team now is around like help out rather than catch out and sort of run it together energy and fun and, and stuff and so yeah I was, I was you know I was excited and got back in there and it was just awesome like the group of players in there you know the Richie Mwang was the Jordan Tuffle was the you know just just a great bunch of people um seemed to have a really good balance quite similar to what it was like in my early years at the Crusaders where there was a good balance of um of personalities there was actually a good balance of culture I reckon both yeah, the early days of the Crusaders when we were really successful and I think late, later on when we were successful too is yeah. I think a good balance of like um, you know Maori Pacific you know, and, and New Zealand European sort of players um, and, and, and in the leadership group and stuff um, so now it's great I, I, yeah awesome I had a, diff, a very different role I knew I wouldn't be playing a lot with Crotz and Jack in the midfield if, I, if that was my thing but if I really wanted to play I would have had to, to go somewhere else and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a driver for me. I didn't, didn't feel like I had to be playing week in, week out. I, I enjoyed the role that I had. Um, and it was all about just getting better and giving and just doing what I can. And it was, yeah, it was really cool. And you obviously had a massive influence on that side, talking to a lot of the boys who are in the Tasman uh, scene at the moment. You you had a huge influence on that team, even though you weren't playing? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, um, as I said, I don't know what my impact you know, on the group was. All I know is what... To be honest, what I do know is I, I had a massive impact from a lot of players in there as well. You know, the, the Dave Avelis, the, um, as, I said, as I mentioned before, the Richies, I just just a really good balanced group, uh, I reckon. Um, really exciting, really exciting players like Jack Jack Goodyear. I remember in that 2017 pre-season, like going in there and just seeing Jack and being like, mate, this guy's this guy's going to be good. Mm. <laughs> you just you know you just see see how how. Um, how much work went in off the field to creating a, a culture and things being, things being based around fun, um, the theming and stuff that, that the coaches do there just make things feel really special. So, yeah, no, I, I loved it, mate. I just I was just in there um, you know, being myself. And, you know, one thing I really do enjoy doing is I, I really genuinely enjoy helping you know, the team prepare really well, helping individuals prepare really well. Yeah, you know, I, I do get a kick out of like watching something like come off in game, something that we may have spoken about, you know, either just individually and in through the week, or you know, a, a plan that you've made as a team mm. come off. And so no, it was it was um yeah great great few years. And you talked about your um, float nine business. What started that? How did you set that up? What was the process to getting that thing going? Um, so that was so that was in Singapore after Laura's transplant. They recommended floating as like a way to help. You know, de-stress and relax and recover. And so we didn't think too much of it from the doctor for a start. We're like, it sounds pretty cool. You know, we went to a cafe and we saw a brochure for one, brochure for one a couple of days later. We're like, mate, let's just give it a crack. So Laura and I started doing it up in Singapore and we both, like, well, Laura, just Laura's first experience wasn't that great. Um, but we both got into it and loved it. And and just sort of, I saw what it was doing around the world. Um, so I thought, let's give it a crack back in New Zealand. So started one up, um, so Cloud Nine Float Club in Christchurch, and you know, we could do 120 floats, 128 floats in a week with capacity. With capacity, um, you know, we did no paid marketing or anything like that. We literally just started a Facebook group page, and um, in the first week we had 126 floats. It was just madness. It was um, automatic, like just uh, you know, there was obviously a lot of people out there that were stressed and. And stuff, and so um, yeah, it's been it's been incredible. As that that sort of you know that was the first little launch into business, and then um, uh, yeah, 
opened Oak Studio now, which is sort of an extension of, of Cloud9. It's it's all, all around the same sort of ethos, I suppose, sort of you know, relaxation, recovery, and, and performance, I suppose. Um, so we've just added new services, and that's that's where I'm working. Most, that's where most of my work is at the moment on on O Studio. Um, that's one we're we're looking to looking to grow and um, yeah, working on franchising that at the moment actually. So it has floating, but it also has like ice, ice baths and saunas and massage, sort of normalcy compression pants like a, a recovery area, recovery area, yoga, Pilates, um, meditation. Yeah, just yeah, everything sort of in one little hub. So is it more of a gym, but for the mind and body? But almost like a one-stop shop for sort of physical and mental well-being mm. and performance, I suppose. So we do we do coaching in there, um, sort of coaching, not like life coaching or anything, but coaching in terms of like if people, you know, want to become more focused or become more confident or become more, um, you know, be able to be more present in moments or you know specific things in relationships. So the guy I'm working with is like um, his psychology background. And so we do like a breakdown and then sort of give people sort of specific things that they can do in their lives to, to work towards that. Um, yeah, so I suppose it's a, a bit of a mind-body, it's like a, a modern wellness centre, I suppose, is what it, the way I'd explain it. But yeah, so we have memberships where people have unlimited access to floating and sauna and ice baths and classes and stuff for, you know, for a certain amount a week. Or, but yeah, it's, it's a cool little model. So it's a membership model. Um, people can come and do one-offs if they want to, but... You know, we've got a couple of hundred members that that come and you know regulate a float or sauna or, or whatever really. That's as I say, that's the thing we're looking to grow. So that's my Sounds that's my good. plan. Get it up to Nelson, well. mate. Well, if you're interested, mate, it's just bloody, we're gonna have a chat off here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, oh, that's that's and that's that's yeah, that's really what I'm looking to do. Like try and find people to to partner with that are interested in this area of wellness. It's a massive, it's something. It's a massive industry and um, wellness, mm. health and wellness is just huge and. Some of the stuff we're doing in there is some really awesome sort of research behind to, to help for specific things. We've got relationships with businesses where businesses will bring their whole groups in for wellness days, and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's massive, eh? Because and I think it's only going to get bigger with the way technology and stuff, like we talked about before, with these people programmed to try and take your mind onto screens and constantly um, having something to think about or do to be able to go and completely switch off. Not many people put the time in to do that anymore. No, that's right. And it's, it's hard, you know, like, you know, um, being bored is hard. Like, that's actually one of the things, you know, I said I had that Google Calendar thing going on here. Yeah. Like, I actually make myself just have nothing for a while. And it's it's like, it's almost like what do I do? Like, yeah. There's nothing to pull my attention. It's, it's hard. Whereas, to be honest, mate, like, that's where so much of the good stuff comes, for me anyway. Like, when I'm just, I've got nothing happening. You know, it could be out walking or doing something like that, but when you've got no distractions, that's where I get good ideas. That's where I think about things. You know, it's where I figure stuff out. So, you know, something like floating, where there's just nothing, there's nothingness. You know, it's like zero distraction. It can be quite confronting for people. It can be quite hard to to do. But it, for me, like it's the counter to sort of being having like a busy life. You know, being busy and active all the time, having a space where you've got absolute nothingness and just you can get clarity of thought is. Um, I, I love it and having services that are al- aligned with that type of stuff like one one strength i think we really have at osu as well we have like a recovery specific membership which is o recover so it's a cheap membership and um, but people get full access to norm techs every day and you know whenever they want them mellow yoga classes more like a sort of functional mobility type class um uh, they get a float a month a sauna and ice bath a month um and so we we approach 
you know gyms that are you know that align with our sort of goals, and we'll give their members sort of access to memberships at slightly discounted prices. So we we complement a lot of the the gyms that are out there, which is quite a cool position to be in as well. And we're not competing with gyms; we actually we complement, you know, we help with that recovery component for people. Um, so it's a cool space. Yeah, that is cool. And how did you get into that space? Like, did you you didn't study business or anything? Did you did you just sort of jump in and learn learn on the run? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. I've got a couple of um, people that I, I speak with regularly and learn from. Um, so you know, my my father in law he's had a, a plastering business for a long time. He was the first one that sort of got me thinking like like a business person i yeah. suppose it's something i'd never even thought about or like you know didn't realize what it was like I, I knew that i knew that i knew what i wanted after rugby like rugby is so it's amazing i love it absolutely love everything about rugby for me after everyone i knew that i wanted to have like flexibility of time and flexibility of location like those are the two things i sort of had to have and so i knew i'd have going to have i was going to have to create something if i was going to do that because if i'm if I'm working for someone and it's something specific, I'm not going to have flexibility of time and location. I'm, I'm on someone else's clock. So I, I knew that for a starters. And then the next part was like, you know, what aligns with what I enjoy doing. I, I really enjoy helping people. Um, I really enjoy the challenge. You know, I really enjoy like pushing myself. And so going into a business that's helping people and it's, I know it's going to be hard. Um, that was That was the year I sort of knew it was going to be like. Um, could have been in the fitness industry but for me it was like well actually there's a lot of that out there it's done really well that, that like, if someone wants to be fit and healthy physically fit and healthy there's there's places on every corner that you can do that on you know like there's, uh, there wasn't 50 years ago 50 years ago there wasn't you know there wasn't the ability for everyone to be really peak physical fitness and performance yeah um for, for me for me now it's like where do you go to have like peak mental fitness and performance I suppose like mm. how do you improve those things like confidence how do you improve those things like focus you know, how do you improve relationships I'm not talking about like you know um, going to a psychologist and sitting down and 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 um, you know so I'm not talking about people that are at the edge you know full depression anxiety serious illnesses you know yeah. I'm talking about the people like me who just want to get a little bit better and want a little bit of support with it and what are the practices you can do to help with that and so uh, sort of just that was it just sort of came from there really um and just you jumped into it head first and just learn not learn on the way and cracked it <laughs> well far from it like, we've got a really good team mate. as i said like so i've got a good, real good balanced group you know i, I sort of I, I suppose i've got a little bit more of uh like i've experienced a lot of that struggle myself mentally and and trying to perform well you know in life Whereas, but I don't understand the science behind it. I don't understand how it really works. Whereas Sam, you know, my, uh, my partner, um, he he brings that. You know, he's he's that's that's his area. That's his niche area of, of understanding and work. So yeah, it's a cool little balance. And you must have you must be hands off enough to be able to just head over to Japan for, you know, six months and do another rugby gig. Um, I, I'm still working every day on it. Yeah. Um, but it's, for me, it's fun stuff. Like it's stuff I love doing. I'm looking at new locations at the moment. Um, um, so Sam sort of runs all that. He, he would sort of be he runs all the operations side and all the marketing side, really. So all the day to day stuff with the staff, everything in the operations and marketing is, is sort of Sam looks after that area. For me, it's more it's more strategy and growth is what my area is, um, and, and financials, and so. Yeah, figuring out 
how we're going to grow, what we're going to, you know, what we're doing to to keep things fresh and exciting and and new ideas and stuff. So you can, that, that sort of means that I can be a bit more, you know, I can be wherever I want to be doing that. Yeah. And I'm actually better when I'm away. Like when I'm in there day in, day out, I actually just keep calling the day-to-day stuff. So. Yeah, well, that's cool. But so one thing I always put you down as is a coach, a rugby coach. Do you think you'll get into that at some point? Or are you just going to be happy doing your O Studios? Mate, I'd love to. I'd love to one day. I, I would love to. Um, as I say, I love rugby. Um, I, it's just for me. It's uh, if I ever was to to, you know, to do something like that, I'd have to be able to commit properly mm-hmm. for, for me to feel just you know justified in doing it. Like I've I've had a lot of coaches in my career, and I've had some amazing coaches, and I've had some coaches that I've thought have just been a little bit you know, not invested enough. Yeah, you know. And so for me, if I was ever to to say like I'm going to try and coach. It's only going to be at a time that I know that I can like just give everything to it and and be the best coach I can, I can possibly be. I think it's probably something I've learned through my career. You've got to be all in to do to be really good mm. at something. Um, and it, for me, early as I mentioned, there was a little bit of work going on. You know, I was doing bits of two bits and PC, mm. and that's um, when I'm when I'm all in on something, I know I can do a good job. Um, so yeah, one day, one day I'd love to. I'd like to. Um, I'd love to with the right team, like with the right coaching group and the right team, and at the right the right level and stuff. I'd love to take it a crack. Jeez, that Follow team, that team would be unbelievable. Oh, oh you'd be the first. Coach. <laughs> Let me know when you're ready to coach because I'm jumping on that team. Because geez, you will be guru. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, like coming from you, I've I've already heard some good things about you, mate. Jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't surprise me either doesn't oh. surprise me I know you were saying earlier about me being you know having some some nouse I can still remember the Jimmy Mark Jeepers <laughs> the ideas that come out of him oh stop yeah, it no good. anyway as always we've gone to our Instagram for some questions and all OBU goats and Hurricane Legends get lots and lots of questions <laughs> <laughs> wow so many <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this one came up a lot actually. Crusaders or Hurricanes? Um, when the Crusaders are playing the Hurricanes now, I'm supporting the Crusaders. Oh yeah. Um, and that's just that's just when I'm when I'm watching the games, I'm like I find myself supporting the Crusaders, and that's mm. because I've probably got more relationships with guys in the team now. Yeah. Um, like, but to, you know, to be completely honest with that as well, like these players in the Hurricanes that I, when I'm watching play, I'm really hoping they go really well. You know. Yeah. And there's players in, in every team that I watch, and I'm like, I really enjoy watching play. Um, the, hur- the Hurricanes, for me, it was some of the most enjoyable times I've ever had, and it changed me massively as well. It's made me see things differently at the Hurricanes. So, I mean, I, I loved my time there. Like, mm-hmm. it, was, it was very different. Like, uh, the, the three sort of highlights of my career were my early years at the Crusaders, my time at the Hurricanes, and then my last years at the Crusaders. Yeah. Um, like those that those sort of three parts, they all had like a similar feel to them. Um, so yeah, it's got a, definitely got a soft spot for the Hurricanes, that's for sure. So it's interesting you talk about players, eh? So you're more of a player supporter than a team supporter these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely am. Because I never lo- watched a lot of rugby, to be honest. Away from rugby, I'd never watch a heap. Yeah. Um, whereas now, like the last year was the first year I got. Last year was the first year I got back into actually watching rugby again. I was like, man, how good is this? Yeah. So I love watching like a good style of rugby, um, but there's players that I, um, yeah, specific players that I support and enjoy watching. I suppose mm. more than more than teams. But as I say, the Crusaders is the team that I'm still like. That's the team I want to win. You know. Yeah. Fair enough. 
great answer to start. Jeez, you're on fire. Is there a big difference in gameplay from the top league in Japan to New Zealand? Yeah, it's definitely very different. Definitely very different. Um, it's getting it's improved massively over the years. I've been lucky enough to have like been over my first season I played over there was 2011. You know, um, and so I've I've seen it sort of how it's developed over the years and the coaching and the um, you know the physical development of the players over there. It's changed massively, so it's improved. It's got way closer. Yeah. But um, like the, the small details in New Zealand, like the, the ability to do really well time and time again and really nail each moment. Yeah. And in Japan, you get these massive momentum swings still, where all of a sudden, like I'll, I'll never forget a game we played. We were playing against Panasonic and for Coke actually, and it was three 0 to them at half time, and we were like, "We're in this, we're in this," and we were hard attacking on their goal line just after half time. And I was like, "We're going so good here. We were so close to scoring, drawing pass to score." Yeah. And the winger intercepted it, went ninety five meters, and scored under the post, ten 0 to them yeah. with thirty minutes to go. So it was it was three 0 with thirty minutes to go. Yeah. Final score seventy two 0 <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, I a few of those like, ones me, over there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's what I'd say about Japan. Still, is like they had these big momentum swings where, and just compounding errors um, that just can just completely throw a game off. So, but yeah, would you say that's more mental? Because what I noticed, like they score the try, and then just the heads are gone, and the guys are just out of the game. They've they've sort of given up already, just even though it's only ten points. Mate, I'd say it's one hundred percent mental, um, one hundred percent, and that, and that's not just Japan. Like yeah. that's everywhere. Like as I mentioned at the start, it's it's the ability to be mentally on time and time again, like nail each moment. And um, in Japan, I just feel like that's not quite as as strong yet. It's not quite as like they can just switch off, or like just and the team can sort of you know fold in on itself quite um, not regularly, but it can happen still more yeah. so than a New Zealand team does. Great answer. Okay, next one. This, oh, this one's from Brad Shields. Why do they call you Titty Bateman? <laughs> I think it's only him that calls you that, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man, I've had some, I've had some good, some good nicknames, some good nicknames in my time, but that was that was that was that was one that actually I made a, a massive error with actually, and I still I still remember that. Like for anyone out there, a word of advice: never bite. At a nickname. As soon as you've bitten at the nickname, as soon as you've shown a little bit of emotion that you don't like that nickname, that is going to stay. So what happened? Oh mate, it was it was um it was Wardy actually. Yeah. Um he um he he was he was announcing something on the bus. Like I don't even know what he said, and he said Teddy Bateman. <laughs> and um and I just like fuck you Wardy or something you know yelled at him and everyone's like hey got him sort of thing and then next thing you know it was you know oh mate so that week I learned that lesson though mate I learned that lesson oh, that's <laughs> one thing you do well you learn lessons from these things oh. <laughs> okay hardest player to tackle oh Jesus that's that's um oh so many. <laughs> no, it was a massive one for me. Oh, gee, like some of those, some of those big Fijian boys. Um, but oh, actually, actually, probably one of the harder ones I found to tackle was Rene Ranger. Oh yeah. Um, just aggressive, you know, and fast and like, fast and aggressive. Um, 
Sivivatu in the, those early days, I always like would stress when he was he was coming. He was running a little, you know, a little back ball and flyer. I'd have to get out and try and get him. But now nah, this, I mean, so many. I've been the person that's made me. The person that's made me has absolutely pissed me a few times. Is, is, is even it's the best. Oh yeah. Um, like got got in a bad position a couple of times trying to tackle him and you know backward roll. Um. But um, yeah, heaps. Oh, some good times on D. Okay, <laughs> best and worst thing about living in Japan. Um, the best thing for me is just like, like you're away from from everyone and everything, and I, I love being around people and all that sort of stuff. I'm not, I don't know, <laughs> um, I'm not saying that, but it's just like for us as a family, like it's where we grew so much tighter, like having less distractions and less things where, you know, less things that are pulling you away. We just had some amazing times as a family, like just awesome trips mm. um, up, to the, up to the snow and, you know, to onsens. And just, I don't know, just got really tight as a family. Like that's, that's what I'll always be really grateful for for Japan is just what it did for us as a family. Um, the worst things, I mean, some of the, the – some of those early days, you had Mukaisan as your uh, <laughs> yeah. your as your head coach there. Yeah. Fire some of those trainings that we did <laughs> back in the day. Like I remember there was this drill he used to love. I don't know if he still does it, Probably. but um, it would be between the between the five and fifteen with the outlines, oh, and you and it'd be full full squad would do it. So you'd be twenty on each team, twenty odd on each team, yeah. and you had to get all the way to the other end, score a try. It was full contact, yeah. and come all the way back. Um, and so if they got a jackal or if they tackled you out or, you know, then you'd have to start again. One, one day it took, it took us two and a half hours one day to get both, through both teams. Yeah, it's fair to say you finished me, that man. <laughs> oh, great, great man, like great man, like just super proud, like the classic Japanese like pride, you know, like I learned heaps from him in a different way. That man, some of those trainings, brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Okay. How good was the OBU court session after you weren't drinking for six months? <laughs> mate, that was just, I loved, I, loved, I played a few games with OBU. Mate, what a bunch of lads. Like, what a team to go to. Like, holy, great, great crew. There's a, I don't know if people know, but the, the little, um, like, it's like an old cellar, I suppose, underneath OBU, underneath in Cambridge there. Yeah. And so we had this, we had this courty down there. One of the best callies I've been a part of. Just yeah, yeah. I don't know how much I can say about when on when I'm down there, but it was yeah, great times, great bunch of lads, great club. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Uh, what's your most memorable non-sporting moment? Um, I mean, the, the obvious thing that comes straight to, straight to mind is you know my girl having my girls and. My wedding day was still, to be honest, the best day I've ever had. Like right. my wedding day was just, you know, so much fun. Just I got, we got married. Um, girls were three and one. But I was obviously young, and um, I was the first in our group of mates to get married. Just all my mates and friends and family together. Big day. Um, um, yeah, that 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 would be my favourite. That'd be my the best day I've had. Um, sure. But no, nah, I've had some had some good times. What a wedding! Okay, best yeah. pub you've been to. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I've got. I remember some good moments in, in pubs, that's for sure. Um, I mean, we always we always loved the South African trips early in, in those early days, in particular. It was you know some, some amazing sort of um, sort of places over there. Um, 
I mean, the first one that came to mind actually just now was the Fitz actually on on, on Fitzgerald Ave down in, in Christchurch. I remember that was the place we used to go to. I remember in 2008 when we won it, just I've just got this memory in my mind of <laughs> Campbell Johnson like carrying the trophy and a couple of like jugs. It was, you know, day, day two or three. I remember him sort of stumbling along, falling over. And he like headbutted the trophy, snapped the trophy, and the trophy, the ball's like rolling along, and everyone's just turning around and for him. And you know, no one sort of, it was that say, no one sort of even cared, no one even did anything. It was, yeah. um, but um, yeah, the Fitz was sort of the place we used to go to back then. Um, Always been breaking trophies down there. Okay, this is this one's from Reggie actually. Were you ever tour leader <laughs> on an end of year do? <laughs> Mate, that was that was what I prided myself on, Jimmy. Was if I could end up with the yellow jersey at the end of the night, then it, that was a successful night. That was, and I just used to get single-minded on. Um, I'm winning every skull race there is going on, and and I had some good ones with Reg because Reg was quick. He was quick, but he wasn't quick enough. Mate. I'll just say that. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it was good times. I, especially because you know, because I would get super competitive, yeah, <laughs> super competitive, yeah. and like you, so you'd sign your name on there and you'd mark it up. Obviously, if, if you won, I made a couple of fatal errors of going early. Yeah, you, know, you always, early. That's what I remember you as the early leader, but you were never the end leader, mate. I've still, mate, <laughs> I can I can confirm that I've still got a couple of those those jerseys at home. So you know, must have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh some good times all right <laughs> i remember i think it was after the time you and reggie had a big head-to-head i found him googling how to sober up quickly in the toilet <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that one he was sitting on the yeah. toilet googling it <laughs> <laughs> oh man that started i mean even though that like there was some amazing times with the hurricanes here but back in the day as well it used to be brutal as well like it was like you know we two jugs you know, yeah. someone would come up and they'd give you two jugs. Yep, I've got two jugs, and it's like we're on. <laughs> um, so I made some, yes, yeah, some some fatal calls there. But um, yeah, I used to, I did used to go too early. That was a that was a mistake. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, good times. Okay. Oh, this is a good one. Favorite coach and why? This is going to be tough for you. Yeah, mate, that's really tough. It's really tough. Um, like, because there's obviously, you know, you got your head coaches and you got your backs coaches. Mm. Um, oh, that's really hard. I, I really loved working with uh, Rog, with Ronan O'Gara. Yeah. Um, like, he just had, you know, an awesome sort of understanding of the game. He was, he was um, yeah, just a real good lad. Like, you'd, he'd be perfect, mate, to get on here. Oh, really? Just a, just a lad. I, one, one memory of, the one memory I've got of Rog, this is in Argentina, uh, in Buenos Aires and we'd play it up there and we had a buy the next week and so we, that was one of the end of times we could have a few drinks we were over there we'd gone out to this uh, jet, jet bar great that would probably be up there as one of my favourite bars <laughs> um, but um, and it's you know we had a curfew of like four so it was like a big curfew yeah. and um, we are in this and the side got to four and like you know the manager's trying to round everyone up and Rod's just standing there giving it there there comes a time in a man's life that we make a stand. We make a stand. Nobody's leaving. Nobody's leaving. It was, oh, it was just great, great man. But um, yeah, enjoyed working with him at the, at the, at the Crusades the last few years. Um, I reckon he, he, like Robbie is he coach early years. He was just you know real inspirational. It really um, taught me a heap. And he just 
he made me feel like you know, he backed me 100. He made me feel real confident that you know I was his his man. You know, he um. So I felt I always felt in a really good place playing under him. I always felt he was you know he had my back. Mm. I suppose so he, he's instilled a lot of confidence. Um, I thought Hammer did a great job at the Hurricanes. Um, Razor has sort of taken things to another level. I reckon at the Crusaders. Uh, what they do now, um, I've, I've never sort of, I've never experienced the, just how to really get a team buy-in through theming and like how you can tie this theme through a whole campaign and then move it into the next campaign and, and the and the campaigns that follow on it. Just it gets everyone really inspired and you know you, you're turning up on a Monday wondering what the theme's going to be for the week. Mm. You know, like that's that's a pretty cool place to be. And then um, so yeah, this real collective buy-in. So Razor would be. He's a bit of a genius, I reckon, with the the way he does that. Goody, mate, Goody, he is outstanding. You're gonna love working with him. Mm. He is top man, absolute. I mean, he had a great interview interview on here too, actually. Absolute top man and just amazingly good coach. Yeah. Like, he is super smart and super dead. I mean, like he, you know, when I mentioned earlier on about myself wondering whether I'd coach, I was thinking about Goody. Like he is all in, yeah. you know. He is committed and he is just work, hard work, always super prepared. Um, yeah, he's a, stand, he's a standard to sort of meet. Whereas like someone like Rog was never as prepared, but he was, um, so I sort of learned that, that, that he can sometimes you know, be underprepared and that's not a good thing, but he was, you know, really good connections with the, with the team. So, yeah. uh, Goody, Goody's amazing. You're a big Boydie fan, oh, weren't you? Mate. Yeah, no, Boydie was good, mate. Boydie was really good. Yeah, he he was another that made me feel like, you know, he backed me. He uh, he said some things to me in my career that, like, you know, there's a few things that just you remember in your yeah. career as being, like, moments. Um, he actually said to me that when I signed with the Hurricanes and he was like, it's not a good signing. He actually, you know, you're not Boydie's yeah. like. He's yeah. like, you know, like having having you and Snakey in the midfield together, he just thought that it wouldn't work, yeah. you know. And he, and he said to me, like, this, is, this is after the first season there, and he said that I sort of proved him wrong. He said, I proved him wrong. He yeah. proved him that, to him that actually is. And, and I was, you know, he was so stoked that I'd come down to Wellington, come to Wellington, how much I'd helped the team and stuff. And so yeah, that was one of those moments that I just sort of remember as being, you know, genuine. Yeah. A genuine sort of comment that sort of made me feel good. Yeah. yeah. Jeez, you've named a few coaches there. Tough to pick. <laughs> <laughs> so many good coaches. Okay, last question. One piece of advice you'd give a young Tim Bateman? Oh man, I would. I'd probably. I'd probably say something like, you know, "Don't like, yeah, just just back yourself, you know, just back yourself and and just trust the process." I suppose. Um, like one thing I did struggle with early on is is working on my weaknesses. You know, I'd almost try and hide them a little bit. Yeah. And I'd I'd try and uh, I wasn't a great tackler, so I didn't want to embarrass myself at training, so I wouldn't tackle at training. It's like, what are you doing, mate? You know. Yeah. Like if I needed to get good at tackling, like just man up, tackle, get bumped off the training. You know, who cares? Like yeah. if you want to get better at tackling, you've actually just got to do it more. Yeah. Um, and, and don't get down on yourself if you're missing stuff. Yeah. You know, back yourself, you'll get better. Like that's someone like someone like a Jack Good who he, he was that's something that I just found him amazing at. Like, you know, he, he would just train stuff that he wasn't great at at training. Um, but didn't care. You know, he was like, I oh, know I need to get better, I'm gonna get better and, and didn't I always sort of had a bit of a, I need to be good. And if mm. I'm not good, I can't show that I'm not good. Yeah. So I'd sort of stay away from it. And that's just a bad mindset. So it's a, it's a real fixed mindset, like yeah. to get better. So what I've probably say to myself is like, mate, 
back yourself. You're good enough, you know. Like, go out there and embrace your mistakes. Go out there and make mistakes. Embrace making mistakes because you know that if you're making mistakes, you're getting better. Um, and that's going to help you in the long run, you know, something like that. Right. The best one yet. So good. I knew it. <laughs> you're so smart. You've got all of it. <laughs> I love talking to smarter people than me, and it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. doesn't happen very often, as you know, to me, but this has been... A great chat. I've loved going through your career. Um, loved hearing your journey. Um, you're a, you're an inspiration. I think you're an incredible rugby player. Like I said, smart on and off the field. You've sort of passed the way for a lot of players who have played with you. I know so many people have learned a lot off you. I know everyone at Coco I played with, they were still talking about you. Guys at the Hurricanes still talking about you. The guys at the Crusaders. You've had a massive influence in the game. There's no question about it. I know you're very humble about it, but um, I think you can be really proud of what you've achieved. Um, I know your career is not over yet. I'll still be playing again next year, <laughs> I bet. And whatever you do after rugby with Yo Studios coaching, I know you're going to succeed fully. So, mate, it's been awesome to have you on the podcast and giving up your time. Oh, mate, thanks so much. It's, it's great. It's awesome to be on here. I'm loving your work, mate. Um, it's so cool. Like, it's, it's cool to have this and uh, listening to some of the interviews that you've done with guys. And just teasing out like what they're doing, what what's going on away from the field, and um, I'm I'm loving your work. It's cool to see you back into back into the rugby scene as I was coaching up in Tassie. It's going to be cool. I'll be watching from afar to see how you go. But no, it's it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on here, mate. And uh, you keep up the good work. Hey, appreciate it, mate. Love your work. Good man. Thanks, see you, bro. mate.